Hey, and welcome to another episode of The Caption Life, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society and vice versa. Coming to you from deep in the heart of Texas, I'm Kevin. And from Indianapolis, I am Sean. And before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. And follow us on social media under the name at Caption Life on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit. And you can also find out more information about us in our past episodes at thecaptionlife.com. If you've ever listened to the podcast before, uh, you know that Sean and I are both... uh, we both work in education. It's a big part of of who we are. I would I would say that we're both lifelong learners, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I, I dare even say we got a yearning for learning. Um, <laughs> I like I like to rhyme. That's uh, so bad. I know, right? That's terrible. Well, I mean, listen, I'm not a fighter pilot like Tom Cruise and Top Gun. I don't have a need for speed. Okay, <laughs> is this uh, all this episode going to be now? Is this bad? Just puns and no, quotes. they're not puns. They're rhymes. Okay, or, yeah. Okay, <laughs> uh, and we like to we like to take a very academic approach to our our comic book and geekdom knowledge. Uh, but we have a very special guest with us today who uh, who takes that idea to uh, a, a next level. Uh, we get to talk to uh, Dr. Matthew J. Smith, who's the dean of uh, the College of Humanities and Behavioral Sciences and a professor of communications at Radford University in Virginia. He holds a PhD in communication from Ohio University and has published 11 different books, including The Secret Origins of Comic Studies with Randy Duncan and The Power of Comics, History, Form and Culture uh, with Randy Duncan and Paul Levitz. And he is the past president of the Comic Studies Society, the co-editor of the Rutledge Advances in Comic Series, and the co-curator of Marvel Universe of Superheroes, a traveling museum exhibit that has hosted more than 900 visitors in its four-year run. Welcome to the show, Dr. Smith. Thank you, fellas. It's so good to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I want to say that I just, one of these days, I would like to have a bio that is as impressive as that, so that when I'm a guest on somebody's show... That my accolades are are strong like that because you, it's it's very impressive. When you got to the end, I decided I needed a nap. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> man, I'm working too hard. <laughs> uh, I think I know the I think I know the feeling. <laughs> hey, so Matt, um, we like to ask this question of all of our guests that come on the show since we're all fans and influenced by comics, and we want to ask you what got you into comics as a fan. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think there were three sort of convergent events in my life that brought me to comics. One was the uh, Batman 66 TV series was in syndication when I was a child and I was watching that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Super Friends were on Saturday morning and my parents happened to take me to a discount department store one day and found a stack of old comics. Instead of paying 25 cents a piece, you could get five for 25 cents. And Mm -hmm. they said, pick out five. And I picked out five comic books. I I can't tell you what all five of them were. One was an issue of the Justice League of America that has the Justice League fighting Despero on a giant Mm -hmm. space hand. I don't know what was Mm -hmm. going on there. But uh, (laughs) it was an amazing cover. And uh, it just sort of sat with me. And I wanted to read more of these stories that were behind both Batman 66 and, and the Super Friends. And so... Uh, right from the start, I was I was hooked. I wanted to know more, and uh, I remember very distinctly. You know, I pestered my older sister to read the comic books to me, and and she got increasingly annoyed with me. Uh, that's understandable. <laughs> she was a teenager; she didn't need a little brother constantly in her face asking her to read comic books. And so, uh, you know, I had to learn to read. 
uh, not out of uh, desire or because I was told to, but out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed to know what these stories were saying. And so uh, comics have been a big influence in my life from the get-go. And, uh, you know, since that early experience, kind of tying education and comics together has just followed me throughout my life. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you said uh, that about having to learn to read to read comics because uh, I'm, I'm not a literacy coach or, or an English teacher or anything. Uh, I, I teach multimedia, uh, but I am a literacy advocate um, and I feel like learning to read and reading often as, as much as possible in, well into your adulthood um, is an important part of being a lifelong learner. And it, it disheartens me that uh, there are people out there that don't feel like reading comics is is reading. And so anytime mm-hmm. that we can get a professional <laughs> on our show to say, yeah, heck yeah, it's reading. Let's do this. Um, I'm very excited. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, I, I think comics are a wonderful gateway to the world of literature. So, you know, I went on and got a, a bachelor's degree in English and later doctorate in communication. Uh, but I was, uh, I was always motivated by wanting to explore the next thing. You know, comics opened that world for me. I think the only difference between myself and a lot of other comics readers is I never stopped reading comics, right? Mm-hmm. I think some people come to an age where they're sort of like, oh, I'm more interested in the young adult fiction or I'm moving on to something else. I want to become a film uh, person. And, uh, you know, I, I became all of those things. I was interested in all of that stuff, but I never left the comics behind. I was still fascinated with the way you could tell stories in this medium. And so for, for the span of my life, I've been a reader and a fan and, and, and wanted to, to know more about it and know more about how it works and how it influences people. Um, and now I've taken those lessons, you know, into the classroom as well. Very awesome. Very awesome. Yeah, it's great. So one of the many reasons that we were excited to have you on the show is because of your background and your journey. Uh, Many of our guests that we've invited are tied directly to the comics industry, either because they're currently writing or drawing uh, comics um, for a publisher or they've created their own. But you are actually not involved in this industry, but you've been influenced uh, by it and it's still a part of who you are. Uh, For example, you help curate the traveling exhibit called Marvel Universe of Superheroes. Uh, can you tell us what that is and what made you decide to do this uh, and why it's important for anyone and not just comic book fans to go see it? Yeah, so Marvel Universe of Superheroes is uh, an absolutely amazing experience. If if any of your listeners have the ability to see it, I would strongly encourage them to go to it. Um, it is done in collaboration with Marvel Studios uh, and with fans around the country, uh, we have a lot of original art and artifacts uh, from the comics uh, that, uh, you know, you can, you can only see here, as they say, uh, <laughs> on the marquee. Um, the whole idea actually came from a German uh, a company called Semmel Entertainment. Uh, and they were in negotiation with, uh, with Disney to uh, create an exhibit uh, using, in some ways, the properties from Marvel Studios. And I happened to uh, – well, it's kind of an interesting story if you want to hear it. I, uh, I, I wrote yeah. a letter to the editor of Entertainment Weekly complaining about uh, something they had done. They had run a story about the uh, contribution of a new book from Jill Lepore, who's a scholar at Harvard, and had done artwork from the original Wonder Woman artist, H. G. Peter, as a part of that display, Lepore had written a book about uh, William Moulton Marston, the creator of Wonder Woman, but they hadn't given H.G. Peter his credit 
in their article. So I, I wrote to them. I said, you've done an injustice to H.G. Peter. You haven't given him credit where it's due. And so they, they reached back to me and they said, we want to run your letter to the editor in our next edition. I'm like, well, sure, go ahead. So they ran a, a new picture, a uh, new piece of artwork from H.G. Peter, uh, my letter. And I felt like I had I'd done my good deed for the day. You know, H.G. Peter has been uh, vindicated uh, and duly credited in the pages of Entertainment Weekly. Um, <laughs> it's interesting to know that people all over the world are reading Entertainment Weekly, uh, including a gentleman named Christoph Scholz. And Christoph works for Semmel Entertainment uh, and is uh, in charge of their museum exhibitions. And he was looking for what he called a scientific expert. I know. Oh. I, I don't know that comics are a science. I, I'm pretty sure they're an art, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure they're a science yet. But uh, he did a lot of exhibits uh, tapping into the expertise of uh, archaeologists and, and others uh, in more scientific areas of academia. And so he reached out to me and said, I need a, a comics expert to help me with this exhibit. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to be his first point of contact. Uh, and then uh, he gave me the opportunity to kind of pull together a, a team of curators uh, that mm-hmm. have worked on this, including my good friend, Randy Duncan. Uh, we ch- reached out to Danny Fingeroth, who you might recall was uh, one of the, the architects of, uh, of Spider-Man throughout the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reached out to Annie Nocenti, uh, who you might know was writer of Daredevil, creator mm-hmm. of Blackheart and Typhoid Mary. Uh, she came on board. Uh, we were later joined by an amazing scholar named Bet Saunders uh, and his assistant, Andrea Gilroy. And we just put together this team that had a vision for what this should be. And uh, I would say one thing that you know your audience in particular will find interesting, we, we were given free reign to do what we wanted to do in terms of bringing in Marvel Studios material, but we absolutely wanted to make sure that the comics creators got their due. And so the great thing about the approach to the exhibit is if you come in having loved the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you are going to find amazing things there that you've seen in the films right before your eyes um, in the exhibit. But you're also going to learn about who created that character. And Mm -hmm. you're going to get a sense of what Jack Kirby's drawing board was like and what Stan Lee's typewriter was like. And you're going to understand there's this guy named Dick Ayers in the early Marvel Universe. And there are people like Annie Nocenti who are contributing to its development and Art Adams and Chris Claremont. And I could go on name dropping all night, right? But we (laughs) wanted to make sure that the the casual Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, consumer came in knowing they loved what they saw on the silver screen, but having left knowing a lot more about the comics medium and the creators behind those comics. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really noble cause to make sure that people understand like the creative uh, or the creatives behind these things. Um, because, you know, these, as these characters get passed down from writer to writer, artist to artist, um, it's, it's usually up to that person to inject their uh, version of the, the character into the, the mainstream uh, into our our consciousness, and so what we know as as Batman, it was was one particular person's version, or the the bat the, the version of Batman or whatever uh, comic book character that we know and love. But you know, like like you mentioned um, with the artist who was the first to draw um, Wonder Woman, people like Bill Finger uh, were were forgotten about, mm-hmm. and. I think that there is a like as popular as these movies are now, there are a lot of creators from the early 70s through the early 90s that 
create contributed characters that are popular on screen now and they don't see they don't see credit or they don't see um recognition i I remember sean and i talked about um alex ross's version of wonder woman that they used in wonder woman 84 um Mm -hmm. and how disappointed i was that they didn't they didn't acknowledge that more um i think that there's i think there's a lot to be said for that and i think it's good that um that people can go and and find and find this stuff which is it's interesting that you brought that up, Kevin, because I think in I, I haven't confirmed this look through, but I think in Shang Chi they've actually attributed a lot to um, the writers and creators and everything. Because I remember uh, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter um, who are in the comics industry, like you know, being tagged and posts and saying that you know, hey, look whose name I saw come up and everything. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like it's good to see more of that recognition in there. And I like what you said, Matt, about how, you know, this is not just for the people who grew up loving comics and um, are really into the medium, but this is really for anyone who is, you know, a fan of Marvel, no matter, you know, how they got involved with their, you know, with their own fandom or anything is, you know, whether it's through the comics or it's through the MCU, or they just, you know, enjoy one particular character really um, that it's, it's for everybody. I think that's, what's really cool about this exhibit. So. You've, you've also covered a book called The Power of Comics, which is uh, what I think you described as like the first comic studies textbook. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? What made you decide to write one and how it's used now? Yeah, absolutely. So The Power of Comics, History, Form and Culture, uh, the title tells you exactly what's in the book, the history, the form of comics, and the culture that surrounds it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was, uh, as I said, I I got my doctorate in communication. So I was used to seeing lots of textbooks that talk about television or film or other media that really, you know, sort of chart how these media operate, how they um, generate content, who works in those industries, you know, sort of gives you a sense as a student for what that medium is like as uh, as a potential career field as as a place of study as a point of of departure for potential careers and mm-hmm. it struck me there was really no textbook for comic studies and and i think having a textbook is is you know one step closer to legitimizing a field of study you know you, mm-hmm. you've got to have a way to talk about what are the core principles what what do we study what do we understand uh, what's the history how does it work uh, what's around it. And so um, I had this idea that, you know, I was, I was going to write this textbook. And I went to my very first uh, San Diego Comic-Con uh, to do a presentation at the Comic Arts Conference, which is an academic slice of the larger San Diego event. And I met a gentleman there named Randy Duncan, who was a professor at Henderson State University down in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And we got to chatting with one another. And he said, well, I've written a textbook. And I said, oh, you have? I've I, I haven't read it yet. And he's like, well, I wrote it. I haven't published it. Uh, so we sat it's down. It's very different, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, uh, well, good job. You wrote it, but like, where's the book? So we sat down, we compared notes. And, you know, the great thing was about 80% of what he wrote and what I envisioned overlapped. And mm-hmm. so we negotiated uh, a way to work forward together. Uh, and that's 16 years ago. And we're still writing books together today. So, awesome. uh, you know, Delighted you two have your partnership. I know what it's like to have a good partner uh, in the comics area. And Randy and I have, uh, have been very prolific, uh, in part because we drive one another forward. You know, it's, uh, we have a Tuesday morning phone call that we regularly keep. And, uh, you know, you've got to get something done when you're talking to that guy. 
mm-hmm. and we're now moving the textbook into its third edition. Uh, it's been successful enough that the publisher continues to to want to see it revised and uh, and, and brought up to speed for a new generation. So uh, we're delighted to that. The second edition we brought on Paul Levitz. Uh, Paul, as you know, was the president and publisher of DC Comics mm-hmm. uh, behind things like Watchmen and Dark Knight and uh, lots, lots of great stuff. Yeah, like a like a uh, major shift in like the tone of comics, mm-hmm. like under under his watch at, D- at DC. Incredible creator, uh, incredible guy, uh, and he's retired now from DC. He started teaching uh, comics courses himself in the greater New York area. Uh, mm-hmm. And we both had a chance to meet Paul uh, in the course of our careers. And we just asked Paul, like, hey, you want to you come along and write with us? Uh, and Paul, <laughs> being very gracious, uh, agreed to play along and uh, just terrific guy to work with. Uh, he's only strengthened the, the quality of the volumes going forward. He knows the industry, right? I mean, he, he's literally the insider. Uh, and it really helps us to, to sort of flesh out parts of the book that uh, – as fans, we kind of speculate or we read about, but he was eyewitness to history. And it's really helped us, I think, to, to bring another layer of authenticity to what we're doing in the book itself. Right. That's awesome. Um, you also just finished your term as president of the Comics Study Society. Uh, can you tell our listeners what exactly that is and why your work is important? So the Comic Study Society is just an amazing collection of scholars from various disciplines who love comics as much as we do. Um, and they are all over the place. They are English professors. They are art historians. They are communication professors like myself. Uh, they're from fields like sociology and psychology. Uh, they're all over the map uh, in terms of higher education. Um, but they all want to talk about the medium. And so many of them have begun to do research on their own and found us. Others are just coming up through the ranks, preparing to be professors and have connected with us and are looking at us as, as uh, uh, helpmates and getting them in their careers and getting them started. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think the great thing about the society is it gives people an intellectual home, uh, which is one of the things we talked about when we were going about the business of forming the society is um, – Many of your listeners are probably familiar with the American Medical Association and and maybe a few even the American Psychological Association. We know professionals like to get together and exchange ideas and and establish standards for their profession and their field. And this gives all of those comic scholars out there the the ability to do the same, right? To Mm -hmm. build those networks, to have uh, confidants and and, uh, cohort to work with. Uh, So we've got about 300 active members uh, in the society right now. Uh, we know there are lots more uh, people out there, both across America and around the world, who are doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, comic studies are huge in Europe, uh, but they're also in Latin America, they're in South America, uh, there are some in Russia. Uh, I, I think they're active on every continent except perhaps Antarctica at the moment, and, and maybe one <laughs> or two is hiding out down there that we're not aware of yet. But Mr. Um, Freeze, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> penguin. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, our, our, our mission is really, you know, it's it's to reach out to any of those scholars out there and students who are interested in comics and and giving them an intellectual home where they can begin to have conversations and seek support for their investigation of comics as well. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You know, I, I I actually work in academia and I'm not a professor or anything, but like this would definitely be something I would sign up for. <laughs> right. I wish that. I could take your course today. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> I want to get a master's in superhero studies now. Right. <laughs> like I've, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I knew what I wanted to do with my life until tonight, and you've unlocked <laughs> so many doors for me, Kevin. I don't, I don't think there's a single one of us teaching comics that didn't want to have that course when we were a student, right? right. So we, we are living out our life's dream uh, because yep. we get to teach these courses to students who may be interested or may not and i i get excited sometimes when students just wander into my class they've they've not read a comic they they may know the movies you know but i have mm-hmm. this wonderful opportunity to connect them to comics and show them the medium and how it communicates how it translates the human experience and get them as excited about comics as we are yep it's uh, awesome. I I really love that that outlook on it because like in I uh, I only teach one class now and I share a classroom with another teacher who um, shares my interests. But we have a lot of like Marvel uh, and DC stuff up on the walls. My my office at school is nothing but like Superman stuff because my my last name Stalecker means uh, steel corner in German. So like the Man of Steel has always been. Um, this has always been my thing. Go listen to episode uh, number 41, Origin Stories. If, if anybody's interested, you want to catch all of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't get it. I don't get the opportunity to interact with kids as much in my position that I have now as I used to where, where I taught six classes and I had 140 students a semester and I could really connect with these kids because they could see my t-shirts and they saw the stuff on my walls and I identified with it, even though that's what, not what we were talking about, you know, like it, it opened a door. And so last year when we opened a new building and I changed positions, I, I started a, a group, a club called face and face was something that, um, like just popped into my head cause I needed, uh, an acronym. Right. Uh, but it stands for the Federation of anime and comics enthusiasts. Uh, because I'm not an anime person, but I know a lot of my kids are, and I know that they needed a place too. Uh, mm-hmm. so no, I'm super excited about, about having, like we're having regular meetings now. Actually, our, our next meeting is on Friday and we're having what we call superhero show and tell, which everybody brings like something, some sort of memorabilia that they're, that they're proud of or that they think is cool and get to take the microphone and tell everybody else about it. Uh, in a few weeks we're having a, a superhero spelling bee, on campus. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we got, we got that idea from going to Comic-Con, uh, over Pop the Con. summer, Popcon, Sean and I, and yeah. then, uh, one of the, one of the great things, it's a big part of, of both of these worlds is, uh, cosplay. And so we get to, we're hosting a cosplay contest on the Friday before Halloween. Cause it's kids in my school get to dress up on those days. So mm-hmm. like I, I have this great opportunity to do this and somebody made me sit down uh, at the end of last week and like write down all of the things that I do on campus so they could help me figure out what was my priority and they were like what's face and I was like it doesn't matter what it is it didn't go in anywhere because I'm not I'm not I'm not not doing that it's it's too important to me mm-hmm. and so once I explained it they're like oh yeah no we definitely need that so right I, I'm, I'm awesome. glad that I'm glad that there are people like you out there empowering other people to uh, take a, a love and an interest of these things and build that passion into other people, even like even academically. Mm-hmm. Kevin, I appreciate what you're doing too for your school. I, I think uh, what both our stories sort of have in common is this notion of seeking community, right? Because I think comics can be an isolating experience, at least you know, growing up in the seventies, it certainly was an isolating experience. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> until middle school that I, I really found a friend who shared my interests. And beyond that, I didn't 
really meet many people until after college uh, mm-hmm. who had that same interest. And so, um, you know, to create a space where students feel like they are welcomed when they're invited in uh, and they can relate to others who share their passion, who share their interest, that is mm-hmm. so important. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, I'm doing it on a kind of the grown up level with the yeah. study society now, like, you know, all those geeks can get together. One of the very first episodes we did of this podcast was, was on the trope of finding family. And mm-hmm. we talked about how that happens in comics, like, you know, the X-Men, these, these outcasts that are joined together for, for a common cause, but mm-hmm. that it also happens through comics, like with different fandoms and things like that. Right. And um, the way that Sean and I connected, because we didn't know each other personally, we met over Twitter and mm-hmm. then, um, built this, built what we have now because of our, because of our shared love of this stuff. I think, I think that it, it, it might be what saves the world in the long run because <laughs> like we lose the connection to other people. We, we've, we've lost the, any reason to continue to make our world better. Right. Definitely. Agreed. Yeah. So, Matt, clearly comics has impacted you personally. Um, why don't you share with us why you would say it's important in our society? And, you know, if you could share, like, what kind of impact has had either, you know, um, I know you shared a lot of personal stories of how comics impacted you. But if you have any examples of how comics has impacted, you know, um, communities, you know, on a, on the large, similar to what you were talking about with the uh, um, Comic Studies Society, if there's any other examples that you want to share with us, we'd be we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, Sean, I, you know, I think the great thing about comics is they're the egalitarian medium, mm-hmm. right? All you need is a pencil and a piece of paper and you can make comics. Right. Um, you know, if I want to make film, I guess it's a little easier now that I have an iPhone. But uh, <laughs> up until this point in history, uh, that was a little prohibitive, right? You had to have right. own the means of production. You had to have the printing press or you had to have the TV studio or you had to have the radio tower. Um, very few people could express themselves to the masses uh, beyond what, who they could reach with the sound of their voice. Right. Um, comics is egalitarian, right? You can take a message, and if you have access to a Xerox, you can get that <laughs> word out uh, far and wide. So uh, Randy and I just did a little study uh, looking at a phenomenon in India, of all mm-hmm. places, uh, where there's an organization called World Comics India, and the oh. uh, effort there is to create grassroots comics, Mm-hmm. And the notion is that you go into a community, you train people how to do very simple four-panel comics that advocate for some cause that they believe in. Um, oh, maybe wow. local officials corrupt and you want to get them out of office, or uh, maybe your water supply is not good and you want to lobby for that to be improved. Um, right. And you take these comics and you post them in the town square, and people can read about your perception of what's going on that needs to be addressed, that needs to be changed. Right. Um, and because they're comics, they're they're inviting. Right. I could write a, you know, I could write my 95 theses and post them to the church door or a four panel comic, which is really easy to understand, really accessible to most people and gets mm-hmm. the idea across really quickly. So, right. you know, comics have this ability, this power to reach audiences that I think is just phenomenal. And mm-hmm. we you know, we all kind of like the entertaining comics and, you know, I do too. Uh, right. You know, most of the comic books you see behind me are, are you know, they're entertaining. Uh, <laughs> but, but there's a lot of potential there to teach and there's a lot of potential mm-hmm. to change and persuade. And I think because comics can do that as well as, if not in some cases, even better than other media, it's worth studying them. It's worth putting them forward. It's worth encouraging people to experiment with them. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And I, I find it, um, as you were explaining that, I, I found it um, interesting because I remember thinking that there's examples of that um, in comics um, currently and, and not just currently, but also in the past as well, too. So I remember, you know, when we were having, you know, public discussions about um, immigration and immigrants and everything, uh, I remember a comic um, similar to what you explained. It was, you know, not a huge comic book. I think it may have just been like one page, but it was about, you know, four to six panels of Superman talking about, you know, how Americans are made up of people from all over the world and not just, you know, a specific subset. And that was just, you know, like, I think it was just like four or five panels, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they did the same thing about uh, teachers and how, you know, uh, they held teachers up as um, being heroes, just like them and everything. And so I, I think you're spot on with that is that, you know, that actually sends a message really quick. And if you think about it, you can even apply that to, you know, some of the um, political cartoons or, you know, just really famous images that we have around, you know, like uh, Rosie the Riveter and Uncle Sam, you know, how those are, um, you know, they're not comics per se, but the medium is still the same, that there's an image, there's a little bit of text on it, and it sends a powerful message either way, and comics, you know, has that impact, just like what you said, so I really like that. It is a great historical example of uh, a book called Martin Luther King and the Montgomery Story, and -hmm. it was produced in the 60s to help propagate Dr. King's ideas about peaceful, uh, you know, nonviolent resistance, Mm -hmm. and the, the book has stayed in print since the 60s. Uh, oh, wow. And was actually adopted and disseminated among people during the Arab Spring uh, when there were revolts going on in the Mideast. And they translated this book into Farsi and they distributed it to people because they wanted to teach them how to actively resist, you know, government oppression, but not to do so in a violent way. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the, the potential of comics is just limitless. And, and I think that's what I find so fascinating about it. You know, we can tell really entertaining stories like The Dark Knight Returns or mm-hmm. Watchmen. Uh, mm-hmm. But it can also have these subtle ways in which it shifts the world and makes people think about the world in which they live. Yeah. And, and the power of four panels, like to a yeah. child, like as somebody who grew up reading like the Sunday, the Sunday comics uh, at, the, at the back of the paper. Um, I mean, I loved and I, I would consume whole volumes of Garfield and Calvin oh, yeah. and Hobbes. And Beetle yeah. Bailey. Beetle Bailey is one of my all-time favorites. Like I had mm-hmm. gotten to the point where like, when I was 10 or 12 years old, I could draw Beetle Bailey like <laughs> like really, really well. Um, but it's 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 so powerful, like that, that that little sampling that you can get once a week or whatever in four panels is enough to ignite the imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh Dr. Smith, before before we jump into this game, because we're gonna play a game with you. Okay. I gotta ask you a few like comic questions like do you have like a favorite superhero oh man i i dreaded that question <laughs> you don't have to answer you can plead the fifth this it, is it, a free it, country it, it, you know it, it since i'm under contract with marvel i gotta say a marvel character right i mean <laughs> okay. you can give me your that's, mouth that's how it works you could, yeah you can tell us whatever yeah you know i you know, I, I think like many fans, as, as they mature, you know, it, it's 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 often less about the characters and more about the creators. So that was my next question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jeff Johns. Okay. Um, I think he kind of captures uh, he understands that there's a legacy and a history and he and he really respects that and translates it into exciting ways. So mm-hmm. uh, I think what you know, often it's whatever Jeff Johns is writing this month uh, is my favorite uh, comic book superhero but uh you know uh, kevin like you i mean I, I you know superman was one of the earliest uh comics that i was exposed to and uh mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think when Byrne did the reboot in 86, somehow I just imprinted on that. Uh, it just seared itself into my consciousness, rewrote the synapses. And, uh, you know, Burn Superman is for me just kind of like, you know, what, what I aspire to be, right? The, mm-hmm. the kind of guy who just, you know, uses whatever gifts he has for the benefit of those around him. Uh, so, uh, so often I'll say that Superman is one of those, but if, if you mention this to the folks at Marvel, uh, it's Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man, really. Yeah, that's <laughs> do, do you have a favorite type of uh, comic that's not superhero, uh, like a favorite like uh, genre that's not superhero? Or other well, than you know, memoir, memoir comics are so prolific right mm-hmm. now. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going back. I, I'm a little behind in my reading, but I'm, I'm trying to finish up um, March. Uh, and, uh, I really am, you know, just sort of intrigued by people who, uh, find a way to tell their story in words and pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a real interesting way to, to sort of get out, uh, you know, what happened to me, how did it happen to me? What do I recall of it happening? And, uh, memoir mm-hmm. comics are, are really exciting to read because, you know, there, there are real people behind those stories and, and that's kind of neat to conceive of. Okay. Can I share a story about that since you brought that up? Mm-hmm. Um, so at, at the time of the recording, so today is you know September 15th. It's not going to be released until uh, October 1st. But, um, you know, we just had September 11th. And, you know, I, I know uh, I was a junior in high school when that happened, right? Uh, my son, who is in second grade, um, has asked me about September 11th and asked, you know, what happened because they've been talking about a school, you know, they did a, you know, a whole day of just kind of talking about like what happened, everything. So he kind of had the idea of um, what that is. But he, you know, was asking mommy and daddy more about like what it was. And he asked, you know, were we there? And so we explained, no, we, we were, you know, here, but we watched it on TV and everything. And uh, um, one thing that he had asked is that he wanted to know if there were like videos of what happened. And, you know, being second grade, I'm like, you're not really ready to watch that because it's like, you know, I told him I was, you know, I was 10 years older than you at the time it happened. It was traumatic for me. But what I did was I told him, I was like, what if we got a comic book to maybe share? And there's a really popular one that I didn't hear about until a couple of years ago. And I heard it from um, someone on Twitter named uh, Tim Smythe, who um, shared the Spider-Man Marvel comic issue number 36. That was about September 11th. And he and I sat down and opened up, Marvel Unlimited, and I kind of went through, you know, page by page with him, kind of explain what was going on. And like, and I could tell from him, like looking through it, he was just like, so astonished about what happened. And he would ask questions about it. And I felt like that was actually a great way to kind of have a discussion with him about it without having to show actually what happened, you know, because Again, being that young, I he's just not ready for it. But that was a nice, safe way to do it. And I think, you know, any other medium probably wouldn't have as much of an impact as on, on him as much as this one did, you know. And so I, I think you're you're right on in that, you know, that's gonna be a popular thing to do because it is very powerful that way and that it captures a lot in a short amount of pages that is just as powerful a message as, you know, reading anything else as well, too. Absolutely. Picture's worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And now we have to transition into playing a really goofy game, Sean. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just saying, like, how powerful that experience was, though. I mean, it just, you know, like, because as a parent, like, you know, when you have those difficult conversations, it's just really nice to have a medium that, you know, can make that happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, comics is great. 
One of the things I think is really great about comics is, you know, you can control the pacing of it. Yes. Um, You know, film, there's the tyranny of the director. The director tells you how long you can look at something, (laughs) moves you along. You know, comics is is more collaborative than a lot Mm -hmm. of other media because once the creator puts out the product, it's beyond his or her control, right? And so you as the reader can make it go as quickly or as slowly as you want. Right. Uh, and there's time to dwell on things. And I'm sure with your son, you had the opportunity to ask questions and talk to each other about panels. It's not like you had to sit through the whole thing, you know, right. before you could actually have a conversation. And I, I love that about comics. Right. And Sean, exactly. I'm just giving you a hard time. You know, I know <laughs> the purpose of this show is for us to <laughs> us to tie the reality that we live in to to the 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 make believe universes that we that we know and love. And, and right. it was, it was an interesting time in our, in our country's history. And those two things came together um, mm-hmm. because there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of instances like around that time where people had a hard time, like understanding how they were going to go back to like what they were doing before. Like it was such a life changing event um, that, it was a way that a lot of people pro- like the, there were there were writers and artists that, at Marvel who worked in Manhattan, and this is yeah. the way they processed it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that I think that that's great. I think that that's that's what what they what they've produced will stand the the test of time, and especially because it's um, available digitally. Um, you know, people like you can go back and have those those conversations um, with your with our with our kids, with our future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, so hey, let's let's segue into the to the the fun and the shenanigans because every time that we have a guest on the show, we like to try to play a game um, with them. And today we have got a little something planned called "Explain a Marvel Superhero Badly." <laughs> and um, because I'm the because I'm the game master, this usually pits Sean versus whoever is uh, whoever's our guest. Right. And so what I'm going to do is I, I, I scoured the interwebs, mostly just a thread in Reddit. Reddit. Um, <laughs> you can just one-stop shopping. Why would you go anywhere else? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but essentially, I've got a bunch of descriptions for Marvel characters, and I want to give you the description, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to guess. And this probably won't be hard, but uh, I'm going to give you an example first. The example is not a Marvel one. I picked a, a DC one as the example, just so I wouldn't waste him, wouldn't waste a Marvel one on the game. So this <laughs> is a guy who isn't Batman, does Batman stuff, but with a mustache. Green Arrow. The Green Arrow, right? So, <laughs> so Doctor Smith knows how to play. Sean, you better yeah. step up your game. Well, I, gosh, for some reason, I, I, I didn't go to Green Arrow like immediately, but it makes sense now. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to throw like the word the color green in there, right? Or Archer, or <laughs> like know, or the things arrows, that like yeah. were clearly you know characteristic of it. Yeah. But speak, just... Speaking of bows and arrows, the uh, side note because the trailer for the Hawkeye series just came out, oh, and right. the marketing material says, um, "What is it this this holiday season? The best presents come with a bow uh, with a bow." Oh, and I'm like, yes. mm, that is just. <laughs> yeah. 
the, the, the comics lover, the dad in me that just loves that <laughs> that unnecessary pun. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, and yeah, I mean, not to get down too far a rabbit hole, but like I'm really excited about that series because I read some of the comics about mm. um, Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. And it as I was watching the trailers, like watching the comic come to mm-hmm. life because they pulled in so much. Almost yeah. more than I've seen in any other trailer for any other show that they have. It's just like, I can tell you, like, yes, this is straight from the comic. This is straight from the comic. Like, it was a still, it was, I loved it. It was so and, great. And you've become that guy. I have, yes. <laughs> You're going to be yelling at the show. That didn't happen in the comics. <laughs> All right. To the game. We're going to alternate. I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, the first chance to guess. And then on the second one, Sean, I'll give you. So, uh, Dr. Smith, the first one is, Old man who is really into metal can't decide if he's really an anarchist or not. Old man who's really into metal. Is it old man Logan? That is incorrect. Oh. <laughs> Sean, do you have a guess? Um, my initial guess was Iron Man. But then the anarchist thing, I think, threw me off. I mean, it, it could still I'll, I'll go with Iron Man. Yeah. That is also incorrect. <laughs> can I get a second guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can circle back, absolutely. Yeah, it, let's do that. Is it Magneto? It is Magneto. Oh, oh. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sean, the old man threw me off because sometimes Magneto's younger and sometimes, you know, and they, his right. age varies a lot. That's, that's true. true. And he always, they give him gray or white hair um, uh, and, and a lot of like comic dep- depictions, even though it, they're very... Um, like you know, coy about his actual age, right? He also plus he's been the same age for for fifty years at this point. <laughs> oh, more than that now, right? <laughs> uh, sixty, actually, yeah, sixty yeah. coming up very soon. Sixty years. Yeah. Okay, so Sean, follow up. It's a very similar one. Okay. O- old man whose metal is really into him can't decide if he's a leader or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta be old man Logan. It's it's Wolverine, but yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, think, I guess that's true. Yeah, Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say that, like psychologically speaking, Wolverine is still one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, just because two things we've talked about this. He he he's portrayed all the time as the loner, but he right. holds the record for being the person who's been a part <laughs> the of most more teams. teams in Marvel history <laughs> than anybody else. And then the second thing is 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 he. He essentially can't die, right? He can't. Um, he's he can recover from everything, but because even though he's nearly immortal, he still is not um, immune to pain, which right. makes for a very interesting character because he's lived like a very painful and tortured life over the course of several hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, Runner-up for the Wolverine description: impolite Canadian doesn't own nail clippers. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, Dr. Smith, this one goes to you. Family and friends deal with life changes after an interstellar vehicle accident. Is that the Fantastic Four? That is the Fantastic Four. (laughs) Great job. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Sean, to you. Yes. Traumatized military veterans' life is changed by spending time in the park with family. Oh, Punisher. <laughs> Frank Castle. That one, that one really made you laugh. It did. It shouldn't be there. It's tragic, but the choice of words some of these was are very pretty, Some of these are pretty, pretty bad. You're right. Okay, Sean. 
No, I think it's Matt. No, this it's, time. Do- it's Matt's turn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Smith, emotionally repressed scientist has issues with anger management and weight gain. That is the incredible Hulk. Yes. That's great. <laughs> Sean, guy with incurable cancer eats chimichanga and talks to himself a lot. Uh, Deadpool. Deadpool. Correct. Wade Wilson. Yep. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, spoiled. Uh, this is for Dr. Smith. Spoiled brat with carpenter's tools tries to save the world from his more interesting pansexual half brother. Oh, I'll read that one more time. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. There was a lot of information packed in there. <laughs> Spoiled brat with carpenter's tools tries to save the world from his more interesting pansexual half brother. Oh, it's Thor. It is Thor. <laughs> it is Thor. <laughs> Runner up for the Thor for the Thor uh, description was really dedicated Renfair actor with magic. <laughs> uh, I've got three left. So, um, uh, Sean, mm-hmm. uh, nerdy social outcast goes through body changes, only feels safe in his pajamas after uncle dies. <laughs> Um, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, that is correct. <laughs> Sorry. The pajamas part kind of threw me off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Dr. Smith, for you. Uh, 100, 100-year-old man fights Nazis while having blonde hair and blue eyes and the perfect body. Captain America. Captain America. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was a great description. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Okay, so this is the last one, and I think it's the best the best one. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to say it, and whoever guesses it first can be the winner of our game. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Ready? Yep. Here's the description. Who? A watcher. <laughs> Incorrect. Uh, who? Oh, my gosh. Um, You're gonna Star Lord. Yourself. It is Star Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the legendary outlaw. You've never heard of me. <laughs> but you know what's funny though is there's I, I can't remember his name, but there's actually a character in the comic mm-hmm. whose mutant power is he can interact with everybody, and then they forget about him the moment he like is out of view from them. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's like mm. a tragic story to read about where your mutant power is no one ever remembers you. Could you ever fall in love then? Uh, it'd be kind of like a uh, 50 first dates, right? 50 first yeah. Dates. <laughs> yeah Which, cause I, I, I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember his name. I think it was, he was talking to Kitty pride. If I remember talk, if I remember correctly, like the stories reading about, but I just remember thinking like, gosh, that's like a terrible mutant power to have, you know, almost, yeah. almost as bad as it is. your worse than rogues, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, but it sounds like a great, like romantic comedy. Like you, the, he keeps saving the same girl over and over again and right. she never, she never remembers who he is. Right. Yeah. I think that actually as a film, I think it'd be really interesting to tell that story. Right. If only, mm-hmm. if only we had somebody with an extensive knowledge of Marvel <laughs> comics that could maybe clue us into who that character is. <laughs> <laughs> Is that too deep of a cut for you? To- yeah, I must have missed that one. <laughs> okay. I, I have no idea. That's one. okay. We've talked about people on this show before who turns out they were they were from the other company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this could be the, this could be that case. So don't, don't no sweat it. Don't sweat it. <laughs> All right. Well, the game the game was short and sweet, but it was a lot of fun to play. Um, it was. We will have to do a, a DC version of that sometime because there were a whole That'd lot of fun. DC entries. Uh, 
on the list, but I, I wanted to focus mostly on Marvel for Dr. Smith. Thank uh, you. Dr. Smith, thank you for coming on to our show and for sharing with us about your journey. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work online? Yes. So if you go to powerofcomics.com, uh, you will find uh, the link for our text and uh, other works that we've been doing. And we'd be glad to have you come visit us. And the exhibit I know is wrapping up in Chicago right now, but it's supposed to show up in uh, Columbus, Ohio here in November, right? That is correct, Sean. Awesome. So if you're in the Ohio or surrounding state area, go check it out. Thank you. Yes, please do. All right. Uh, well, that wraps up another episode of The Caption Line. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out. Tag us in your post. For more info about us and all of our previous episodes, please visit thecaptionlife.com. And until next time, Excelsior. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> beat you to it. Yeah, I know. I know.